Heavenly Father, you have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. But Lord, we admit that we cannot understand your precepts and we cannot obey them without the help of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, we pray that you would send your Spirit now to help us and invigorate our hearts so that we fully obey your precepts. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Philippians and we've been looking at how the Apostle Paul has been writing to this church in Philippi, uh, which he uh, planted, which he was involved in the uh, gospel coming to those people, and he's been encouraging them and uh, basically writing to them to thank them for the support that they have given him as a missionary. Uh, as he's been travelling around, he has been able to have material support from them and he's spoken about the joy that he has for the church in Philippi. And now he's starting to talk about the experience that he's going through, that these people who love him dearly uh, would have known about, the fact that he is in jail, that he's in chains uh, for the sake of the gospel. And last week we saw that his chains had actually worked to advance the gospel. Uh, Rather than hindering the gospel, because of the chains, the gospel had been advancing, and that some people had even been encouraged outside the prison, other brothers, to preach the gospel more fearlessly and courageously. We see that in verse 14. He says, verse 14 of Philippians chapter 1, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And so he's starting to speak about not just how the gospel is advancing through him, but through others. And as he speaks on this subject, he has to bring up with the church in Philippi something that they are aware of and would be concerned about. He brings up with the fact that there are people who preach Christ for some motives and there are people who preach Christ out of other motives. There are people who preach from true motives and there are people who preach Christ from false motives. And he speaks about those people who speak out of envy and rivalry in verse 15 and those out of love and goodwill. Verse 15, it says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. What are the motives that people have? Well, there's these false motives, firstly, uh, that he lists there. What are the false motives? Well, it's envy and rivalry in verse 15 that are listed there. And in verse uh, 17, we also see that this is described as selfish ambition. Verse 17, the former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Got to be clear that these people are not heretics. They are preaching Christ. The message they preach is the true gospel. It's not a false gospel. But they're preaching from false motives. The reason why they preach is because of false motives. What are those motives? Well, it's envy and rivalry, selfish ambition, and a desire to stir up trouble. Uh, For Paul, verse 17, the former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble or distress is another way you could translate that word, uh, or some sort of anxiety, stir up some sort of trouble for Paul while he is in chains. Now, what does this mean? Well, it's a bit hard to know exactly what is meant here, but it's very likely that what they're doing is they're stealing Paul's sheep while he is in prison. While Paul is locked up, they're able to go out and preach to the disciples of Jesus Christ who love the Apostle Paul. And they're able to preach to to them and to try and attract them from following Paul to following them. And that stirs up trouble for Paul, of course, in prison as he feels... the the pull of his heart as these people are going after these other people who don't like him. These people are not anti-Christ, but they're anti-Paul. And by being anti-Paul, they are even seeking, they're relishing the fact that these people who used to love Paul are now coming over to their side, and they still love Christ, but they don't like Paul so much any longer, and they love the fact that this causes Paul distress. 
Well, what should have been their motives for preaching Christ? Well, it's the motives that are listed, the good motives in verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. They should have been preaching out of goodwill, not envy and rivalry. And it's also described as love. Verse 16, the latter, that's the people who preach out of goodwill, do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. While Paul is in prison, people should be preaching Christ, yes, but out of love and goodwill. And, and when they speak of Paul, they should be speaking about how Paul is there for the sake of the gospel. He's not in prison because he's a bad guy. He's in prison because he's a good guy. He's there for the sake of the gospel. And so as they may minister, these preachers, to the people who love the apostle Paul... Paul can't be with them, but they're ministering to them knowing that they really do love the Apostle Paul and we're not trying to attract these people over to our side while we don't like Paul. No, we're just looking after them almost. The shepherd has been removed from these people and so we're helping out out of goodwill and love knowing that Paul can't do much at this time. And so we'll look after his sheep in his absence. And what is Paul's response then? to these people who are preaching with impure motives and should be preaching with pure motives. Is he upset? Is he distressed? They're trying to cause him distress. They're trying to cause him anxiety. They're trying to cause him trouble. They're trying to stir up that trouble. What is his response? No, he is not troubled. He is not distressed. His response is one of rejoicing. Verse 18, verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul knows that these people are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, and he's calling it out as it is, but he rejoices. Why? Because Christ continues to be preached. Even if these people have false motives, the gospel they preach is a true gospel, and a true gospel brings glory to God. And brings people to salvation. It brings people to understand that they are sinners and that Christ is the Saviour and they are then saved from hell to heaven. And so what does Paul do? He rejoices. He can't help but rejoice when he knows that Christ is glorified and that people are saved. Now, do we face a similar situation today? The answer is yes, of course. Do people preach Christ out of true motives, out of goodwill and love, in sincerity? Yes. Do people preach Christ out of false motives, for selfish ambition and not sincerely, out of envy and rivalry? The answer to that is yes as well. Why? Well, people want the power that comes of having followers, just like those people long ago wanted Paul's followers to come to them. Why? So that they've got power and influence over them. The human heart loves to have power. They love to have, we love to have people liking us. Who would do this? Who would preach Christ out of envy and rivalry and selfish ambition? Well, pastors particularly. Pastors are particularly tempted to preach out of envy and rivalry and selfish ambition. Why? Well, they're the regular preachers of Christ. They're the ones who spend most of their time, more time than anyone else, well, they should be, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And why are they tempted? Well, they want that power of influencing people. And the gospel, Jesus Christ is the power of God. And people will come and follow someone who is preaching Christ. God draws people to those who are preaching Christ Jesus. And so pastors face that temptation. If they have a selfish ambition and an envy in them, well, they can use the gospel to bring people to follow them and so that they have power and influence over people. But it's not just pastors 
who face this temptation, all Christians face the temptation of wanting people to follow them so that they can have power over others. It may be through directly being involved in someone's conversion, or it may be through discipling someone, encouraging someone in the faith. We love to have Christians, other Christians, affirm our views as right, even if it's just simply having lots of likes on social media. We want others to like us, and we can use Christ and the gospel so that people will like us. But it's not just directly through being involved in someone's conversion or through their discipleship. It may be indirectly through being associated with a church like Dremoyne Baptist Church. We want Dremoyne Baptist Church to be the best. And we want people to come and stay with us so that we feel like we're part of something that's really good. And we want to have power over others. If the, other people in, if the church really grows and expands, then we can have an influence for good as a member of the church. We can vote on things and we can push people in a particular direction. And so there's that envy and rivalry can be satisfied um, as the gospel is preached. But how are false motives then shown? How do we see envy and rivalry? Because, of course, the message is a true message that's being spoken. Well, one way is by stirring up trouble. Stirring up trouble for Christians who preach Christ. I mean, that's what we see of these people here. They, in verse 17, it says, The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. If you want to know if someone is preaching Christ, they may be preaching the true gospel, it's not for debate, if they're preaching it out of selfish ambition or envy and rivalry, is shown by the way that they would stir up trouble for Christians who also preach Christ. How is this shown? Well, it's by often attacking other denominations and other churches and other pastors. So people will come to us. We talk badly about another church, they'll come to us. We talk badly about another pastor or a denomination, and that person's a part of that denomination, well, they may come to us. And so we'll have power and influence over them by the way that we've been attacked in other churches, so they will come to us. But it may even be that we attack individual Christians, even within a church. We can create a faction within a church by speaking badly of other members, speaking badly of certain elders. We can create a faction, and that people like us, they want to come to us after a church service, and they want to speak to us rather than speak to those other people. And they won't go and speak to those people because they know those are sort of the bad guys because of the way that we've been attacking them. And what kinds of things do people usually attack then within other denominations and other churches and pastors? How can we see the envy and rivalry coming out even as we uh, see people attacking other Christians? What do they usually do? Well, it's usually certain finer points of theology or certain sins that are focused on. Remember, I'm not talking about heresies here or serious sin. Some sins are more serious than others because of the harm that results from them. I'm not talking about heresies. We can call out heresies in other denominations. Uh, well, they're not denominations, really. They're other cults. Um, they're other religions altogether. Or serious sins. No, I'm talking about secondary and tertiary issues that become the focus of what we like to talk about, what we like to attack within other denominations and other pastors and other people. Whether it be baptism, predestination, eschatology, clothing, all these issues that are of finer points of theology. They're not primary issues. And we like to focus on them and attack those. It can often show that there's an envy and a rivalry in our hearts. And we want people to follow us. And we'll attack those finer points of theology and bring people over to us. What else? 
Well, even lately, I think the Christian responses that people have to COVID and government restrictions. People can attack other churches, other pastors, other Christians over their response to the pandemic and to the government restrictions. And that's what they talk about those other peoples and they're trying to almost draw people to them away from other churches, even though those churches still preach Christ, trying to draw them away out of envy and rivalry and selfish ambition. may not be clear to the person that they're doing it, but it's seen as they're attacking other, other, other Christians who are Christians. It's really showing that they're trying to draw people to themselves. They want the likes. They want people to like them and their position on COVID, government restrictions, baptism, eschatology, predestination... Now, how do we understand this? Well, an illustration might help us. You think of it in a battle. There are many reasons why a soldier may fight in a battle. Some soldiers fight because they love the king and they love the country. And they want to free themselves and others in the country from tyranny. And they want to see the king honoured. So they go into the battle, gung-ho, yes, I'm going to fight because I love my country and I love the freedom that we have in our country and I love the king. Other soldiers may be there fighting because they love power. They love power. They love the power of telling other soldiers what to do because of their rank and their reputation. And they like to tell others what to do simply because of the pay that they may get from being involved in the battle. Some soldiers, some parts of history, particularly well paid. And of course, money in itself is of no benefit. What money is, is it has influence. It has power over others so that they will do what you say. The more money you have, the more you can tell people what to do. And so some soldiers are really just in the, in the battle for the paycheck and what they can get out of fighting. Now, how do these soldiers who are fighting from such false motives, such impure motives, how are they shown? Well, it could be by stealing other soldiers from even within their own army to their platoon. They see a good soldier in another platoon, they try and get that soldier to come over to them and fight with them. So they get more reputation, they get better pay as they... Uh, uh, win more battles, and so they take away good soldiers from other good soldiers. You see that selfish ambition coming out. And so what does a good soldier do when he sees a bad soldier fighting in such a way that he's actually uh, fighting with motivation of selfish ambition and envy and rivalry for even his own uh, soldiers within his own army? What does he do? Well, he can call out the selfish ambition of the other soldier and say, look at that other person and what they're doing. It's wrong, but he can only do it so far. His hands are tied, really, in many ways. One soldier can't really do much about what another soldier's motives are for fighting, can he? Uh, Particularly if he is lower ranked than that other soldier or maybe far removed from the situation that other soldier fights in other battles and he's in his own battle here. What can he do, really, about the other soldier that's fighting over there? So ultimately, what does a good soldier do? Knowing that there are many in the the battle who are fighting out of goodwill, they want the kingdom to advance, they want the king to be honoured, they want people to be saved, but he knows that there's some soldiers over there who are fighting really for what they can get. What does he do? Well, he rejoices. Why? What does it matter? Isn't the important thing that in every way the kingdom advances? Can't soldiers fight well with bad motives and save lives and win glory for the king? Bad soldiers can fight well with bad motives and save lives and win glory for the king. So what does a good Christian do? As we consider this illustration, what does a good Christian do when they see 
people preaching Christ from false motives. What does a good Christian do? Well, he can call out the bad behaviour, like Paul did. Paul did say these people are preaching out of envy and rivalry and selfish ambition. They're not preaching sincerely. Called it out. But he can only go so far, can't he? He's in in chains. He can't do much to stop those people doing what they're doing. And it's the same for us. Someone may be preaching Christ out of envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, and we can see it. People who are following that person can't really see it. We can see it. But what can we do? Will that person listen to us if we challenge them? Maybe. Maybe not. Particularly if you're just a member of another church and that person is a pastor of another church. And let's face it, some of those pastors that we know most about when it comes to envy and selfish ambition and rivalry, they can be in a whole other country. They can be in the United States of America. What are you in Australia going to do? to call out that person and what they're doing. So there's only so much you can do. So what should you do? Well, we should rejoice that Christ is preached. That's what verse 18 says, isn't it? But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. What does it matter? Isn't the important thing that Christ is preached? Why? Because even if Christ is preached with bad motives, lives may still be saved. Lives may still be saved. A true message is not affected by unclean lips. The gospel itself is always true and good, even if it comes out of the lips of an idiot. It's still good and can still save lives. Just like the bullet out of a gun that is fired by someone who is there for selfish ambition still takes out the enemy. Ultimately, it doesn't matter who fired the gun, as long as the bullet went in the right direction and took out the enemy and saved a life. So what does it matter? We rejoice that Christ is preached and lives are saved. Why else do we rejoice? Because as Christ is preached, God is glorified. God is glorified. People are saved by the message and God is honoured. God overrules the donkeys. He overrules the Balaams. He overrules the Jonas. He overrules the Judases. And even enemies of himself to win the battle. We can believe the words of Jesus if we have this mindset that God is glorified and honoured even by unclean lips as they speak a clean message. Believe the words of Jesus in Mark 9, verse 38 and following, where we read, Teacher, said John, We saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Isn't John a good guy? He saw a man driving out demons in Christ's name and he told him to stop because he was not one of them. What does Jesus say? Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me for whoever is not against us is for us. So what should we do when we... Know that there are people out there preaching out of envy and selfish ambition and rivalry. We should rejoice like Paul whenever Christ is preached from false motives or from true. But I want to be careful here as well that we never give the impression that the ends justify the means. That we can be selfish, we can be envious, we can have a spirit of rivalry in us or in others. We can condone what they're doing because... The gospel is preached. We, of course, rejoice that the Spirit overrules evil and brings about salvation and glory and honour for the King. 
but we must never join in the evil. We must never join in the evil simply because good results. Or when pressed, we can't condone what they're doing, preaching from false motives, even though the gospel is preached and so, of course, we rejoice. Why can't we condone and what they're doing and say, look, the ends justify the means. More power to them as people are being saved. Why can't we do that? Well, there's a few reasons, but one is that for ourselves personally, if we are preaching out of envy and rivalry and trying to attract others by attacking other people who are preaching Christ, one reason is that it indicates you may not be on the winning side at all. Why? Well, envy and rivalry are listed as acts of the sinful nature. Acts of the sinful nature. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Go back a few books. Uh, So if you're in Philippians, go back through Ephesians to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, where the Apostle Paul says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord... Discord there, that, the Greek word behind that translation, is the same word that is over in Philippians chapter 1, translated as rivalry. So, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, rivalry, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. There's a list of the acts of the sinful nature. And what does Paul say about people who act that way? I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you have a spirit of envy and rivalry and you're attacking other Christians as they preach the gospel, like they were attacking the Apostle Paul so many years ago, they were pro-Christ but anti-Paul, if you have such a spirit in you, then the Apostle Paul says that if you live like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yes, the Spirit may use you to save others, but you may not be saved yourself. You're simply a mercenary who is receiving some sort of paycheck for a time so that the gospel is advanced. You may be one of those whom Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? These people will come to Jesus on the last day and say, look, we prophesied in your name, we drove out demons in your name, we did many miracles. And then what does the Lord Jesus say to them? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. He doesn't deny that they prophesied in God's name, that they drove out demons and they did many, many miracles doesn't say, oh, no, you didn't do those things. He says, no, away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. So could you be simply a mercenary who will flip when the other side makes a better offer? At the moment, you preach Christ because preaching Christ has got you a bunch of good things and a bunch of followers and a bunch of likes on social media that you're simply interested in what you can get. And so when the other side makes a better offer, you will flip. And you'll no longer preach Christ. You'll be an antichrist. You'll preach against Christ. Why is that so terrible? Because the enemy will never make a better offer than what Christ the King offers. The war was won at the cross. The battles we fight today as we preach Christ, 
As you preach Christ in your home, as you preach Christ in your neighbourhood, as you speak about the Lord Jesus Christ to others, as you herald him, which is what preaching is, as you herald him, they're just mini battles. The war is won. Christ has won. The other side cannot make a better offer than the offer that Christ makes, which is of eternal life. So how do you know if you're a mercenary, if you're simply preaching Christ for what you can get in this world? Well, do you attack other Christians, even within your church, for views on finer points of theology? I'm not talking about heresies, but finer points of theology, secondary matters, and particularly tertiary matters, things that are not even what we as a church will separate from other denominations over, things that are of tertiary, third-level order uh, points of theology. Do you attack other Christians, even within your own church, for views on finer points of theology? Are you troubled when others have more influence over someone that's a Christian, like your friends and your family, than you? You may have been of great significance in that person's life at their conversion, but now they, they used to talk about how you knew everything before, but now there's some preacher on the internet that they love, or some other person that they've met, and they're always talking about what they're learning from that person. Is there a jealousy that springs in your heart? And you're going to try and attack others so that they will come back to your side. And do you not rejoice that Christ is preached by good people, but even by those who do not share your theological views. And you may know even have some particular moral issues. I'm not talking about serious sins, but some moral issues. They do things that you wouldn't do. And so you can't rejoice that they preach Christ. And they hold some theology that you don't hold. And so, of course, you can't rejoice that they preach Christ. If any of those are true, that you attack other Christians that you are troubled when people have more influence over people than you, and you do not rejoice that Christ is preached regardless of the motives, then I think you need to repent of the envy and the rivalry and the selfish ambition and the insincerity in your heart. And do it before it's too late. Before it's too late, it may be showing that you are not one of Christ's at all. Trust that Jesus paid for your sins at the cross, including your sins of rivalry and envy and selfish ambition. And then do what? Well, make much of Jesus Christ. Make much of Jesus Christ. You may have preached Christ before, but now as you've experienced yet more of his mercy, maybe his mercy for the first time, how much more will you preach him, knowing how wonderful he is? Our motto should be, John the Baptist's motto, shouldn't it? All the time. What was John the Baptist's motto? Well, let's look at John chapter 3 to see what it was. John chapter 3, verse 22. Turn with me now. John chapter 3. Go back a few more books in your New Testament. John chapter 3, verse 22. John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now John, that's John the Baptist, also was baptising at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptised. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man, and they're speaking of Jesus here, who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, 
the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. See what John's disciples are worried about? That man that you baptized, you baptized him. He's also got baptisms going on over there and everyone's going over to him. What's John's reply? Verse 27. John 3, verse 27. To this John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. Saying, the bride, which is the church, belongs to the bridegroom, not the best man, not the friend of the bridegroom. John the Baptist is the best man. The, the bridegroom is Jesus. So, of course, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. And then we get his motto in verse 30. He must become greater. I must become less. And that should be our motto. If we understand that Christ outshines us in every way, we won't care so much about ourselves. We won't care about envy and rivalry and selfish ambition. We won't care about people liking us, giving us more likes. We will care about people liking Christ Jesus. We will become less selfish and more selfless as we understand how wonderful the Lord Jesus Christ is. We won't badmouth other Christians who preach Christ. Of course not, because we love Christ and he must become greater and we must become less. We won't mind if people leave us to follow someone else as that other person follows Christ. It was wonderful to have that person influenced by us for a time to follow Christ. Now they're being influenced by someone else to follow Christ. Wonderful. He must become greater, I must become less. And of course, we will rejoice whenever Christ is preached, even if he's preached from impure lips. So let's face it, we all have impure lips. And yet Christ is preached and so we rejoice. And so what will happen if we have this attitude that he must become greater and I must become less, if we meditate upon Jesus Christ and understand how wonderful he is, what will happen well, true joy will increase as many are saved and as Christ is glorified, as King Jesus is glorified. I'll ask you a question. Which gives a soldier greater joy? His little skirmish in a battle and winning or seeing the whole battle won as the whole army has advanced the kingdom? Does he, does he rejoice in his little win? or in the overall win of the whole army? What gives him greater joy? It's to see the whole army win, isn't it? A kingdom mindset, a kingdom mindset leads to lasting joy, not the quick sugar fixes that we get from winning our own little battles, but seeing the whole kingdom advance, not just in our lives, but in the lives of many as Christ is preached from pure motives and impure motives, as the whole kingdom advances, we can rejoice. And that only really happens as we're so swallowed up in love for the king. 
If we love the king, then we will love to see the kingdom advance in our lives, but also in the lives of many out there who we may not agree with about a lot of things, but we see the kingdom advancing as they preach Christ. And so, of course, we rejoice because Christ is everything to us and we love him so much that we don't care about us becoming greater. No, we always care about him becoming greater and us becoming less. Let's come to God in prayer now. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the God who saves through Jesus Christ. We thank you for using us to bring people to Christ, that many of us have been used of yourself to bring people to Jesus Christ and to continue to encourage them to follow Christ, that you've used us to preach Christ again and again. We ask that you would help us to always do so out of love and goodwill and not out of envy and rivalry because we recognise that we also must come for you for forgiveness, knowing that we have not always preached out of goodwill but have preached out of envy and rivalry and selfish ambition. We've wanted people to like us and have used Christ so that people would like us. And we ask that you would also forgive us for not rejoicing as we should when Christ is preached by others particularly by those whom we disagree with on less important matters and those who we see sin in their life and may not be serious sin, but we see it there and we think, how can we rejoice that the gospel is preached by that person and that lives are saved and that you are on it? Oh, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us. Lord, we ask that you would also help us to love Christ more, so much so that we always rejoice when he is preached whether it be by impure lips or by pure lips, because lives are saved and he is glorified. And we pray this in his name. Amen.